It is so good to see you today in this beautiful summer day. And today I'm not joking, it's a beautiful summer day. And, and I'd like to thank you for making time to, to be here today because you made a decision this morning to be here. And when you made that decision, you were saying, today I want to experience God at West Covina. And when you made that choice, you chose us to be the people that could help you have a personal experience with Jesus. And it is our prayer that in this place, when you go home, you can say, today I was with God. So thank you. Uh, we're in this series that we've titled Questions and Doubts, and it's been super fun for us to prepare, but at the same time, it's been incredibly challenging. Uh, some of the questions that you put out there, we put them in categories, and uh, today we'll talk about science and God. Now, if you see a smile on my face, it's because my nerd side is coming through in this message. I love this kind of things, and I hope and I pray uh, since the moment that we've been preparing this message that God speaks to us through this difficult topic. But at the same time, I pray that we have a lot of fun doing it. We can start talking about science and God without going first to Genesis 1-1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. In the very first text that appears in the Bible, we encounter most of the greatest challenges that science offers against the narrative of Scripture. Because, see, what science offers is that about 17 billion years ago, there was an event that it was called, or it is called, the Big Bang. I'm sure you all heard it. Right, heard about it, the Big Bang. Not heard of the Big Bang, but you heard about the Big Bang. And, and, and according to, to science, 17.6 billion years ago, when the Big Bang occurred, everything in the universe as we know it today was formed. Now, let me share a word with you about the word universe. Universe is a Latin word, and it's a compound word. Uni means one, and verse. Verse means word. So when you put one word together in Latin, you come to the phrase universe. And if you're awake, you know what John 1, 1 says. In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. Now, but let's be fair. This is what the Bible says. And to be responsible and balanced, the title of this message is Science and God. So let's talk about science. Are you ready? So the question is, what is the point of view of science with the issue of the origin of the universe and of Earth? So I tried to look for science books that talked about this topic. And we had to start at the beginning. So I found one of those books that are used in first grade science. Because we had to go at the foundation of it. And I found this book, Big Bang, the tongue-tickling tale of a speck that became spectacular. 
And it says, an astronomical Big Bang changed the crunched up cosmos. In case you can't read it, let me read it for you. Billions of years ago, and later in second and third grade, we found that it's 17.6. Billion years of er, uh, ago, everything in the universe was crunched up into a tiny speck that was smaller than the period at the end of this sentence. So according to science, everything in the universe, all the galaxies, all the comets, all the planets, all the stars were contained, compressed, packed into a little dot. But we say we were going to talk about science, correct? You might remember what the first law of thermodynamics says. You're like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Let me remind you. The first law of thermodynamics says, in a very succinct manner, that all the matter and all the energy in the universe cannot be created nor destroyed. It is only transformed. Are you with me? So if all the energy that was required to explode this tiny speck that contained everything in the universe was used for this explosion, we have a question. According to the law of thermodynamics, where did this energy come from? Because it cannot be created nor destroyed. Energy can only be transformed. Kinetic energy into heat or electricity. Because that's physics. So the first challenge that we face when we talk about science is that for the Big Bang, where did this energy that was used for the explosion come from? I have a Big Bang. God said... Let there be light, and bang, and there it was. <laughs> but let's continue to talk about science. This is a, uh, a, a table that is used to teach a scientific method of research, of investigation. And in this process, there needs to be, there are steps, steps that need to be taken for science to be a reliable um, practice. And as you can see there, there is a process. There has to be a question. What is this? What, is, what does it do? Where does it come from? There has to be a, a hypothesis. Okay, maybe it is for this. Maybe it is for this other thing. Maybe it came from here or from there. And then it's an experiment. So that hypothesis needs to be tried out several times. That is why we hear of laboratories. Because they practice and rehearse and, and do and realize experiments that prove a hypothesis. Now, for science to be science, or for something to be declared scientifically uh, proven, it needs to go through all these steps. And this is the first question. How many people observed the Big Bang? 
So the Big Bang is a hypothesis. It maybe came from here, maybe it came like that. Now, this is a more challenging question. How many people have recreated the Big Bang? Without having any energy, matter was compressed, and it became something. So as you see, the Big Bang requires as much faith as creation. It's not science, it is religion. But don't believe me, let's look at the proof. So the Big Bang occurred 17.6 years ago. According to science, ooh, now I can hear myself. According to science, how old is the Earth? 4.6 billion years ago. That's from your science books. Now, so the question is, how old is the earth? Because if science says that the earth is 4.6 billion years ago, but the Bible says that the earth is about 6,000 years old, we have a problem. Which one is it? Well, the book of Hebrews says, You, Lord, in the beginning laid the foundation of the earth, and the heavens are the work of your hands. That's what the Bible says. Let's look at what science says. But let me tell you a story. Long time ago, there was a boat that was carrying a treasure chest. And this boat sank. So the treasure went to the bottom of the ocean. Scuba divers went down to the bottom of the ocean and they found the treasure. Are you awake? Here comes the question. How do you know when the ship sank? It's Sabbath, Pastor. How do you know? Let me help you out. You look at the coins and you look at the year on the newest coin. And you know that the boat sank after the year of the newest coin. Are you with me? That's called deductive evidence. So let's look at the evidence that we find on earth and deduct how old the earth is. So let's look at the first evidence. And I, I, I remember talking about this a while ago. The, the principle of conservation of angular momentum. But I need a helper. Do we have seven-year-old boys here? Raise your hand. Seven-year-old. We have one? Come here. No, he's not. How old are you? Okay, ten. Come. That's good. He was... The first courageous to raise his hand. Okay. Come up here. First question. How much do your parents pay you to be good? No. Nothing? So you're good for nothing? Okay. <laughs> now, give me your hands. Now. <laughs> Only adults got that one. 
Okay, this is what we're going to do. We're going to spin around in this way. Okay? And we're going to go faster and faster and faster and faster until you get dizzy or I get dizzy. And you know what's happened when we get dizzy? We're going to let go of each other. Now, I'm a little heavier than you. So I might not fly as far. <laughs> but if we are spinning, now this is for you adults. If we're spinning counterclockwise, when we let go of each other, in which direction are we going to spin? Counterclockwise. The principle of conservation of angular momentum says that when two bodies that were spinning release each other, they will continue to spin in the same direction that they were spinning originally. Right? Now, thank you, buddy. You were good. You were awesome. Now, this is what happens. If that is the case, that means that all the planets that came out of the Big Bang need to be rotating and translating on the same direction. Are you with me? Because that's what physics says. That's what the principle of conservation of angular momentum describes. When we take a look at our science books, they say that Mercury, the first planet in our solar system, spins in this direction. But when we come to Venus, it's spinning on the opposite direction. Now the Earth is going like Mercury and Mars and Jupiter and Saturn, but Uranus is a jokester because he's going totally the other direction. Now there is a theory that says that something so big hit this planet that made them spin in the other direction. But let me tell you, if you're driving in a, uh, one direction on your vehicle and something makes you go the other direction because it hits you, there's going to be a dent on that car. These planets don't have evidence of collision. So are you with me? What I believe is that God 6,000 years ago made a solar system. And he said, you know, because these crazy people are going to think that this was made by chance. I'm going to make them spin in different directions. <laughs> now, okay, this is just planets. But let's get real. Because our planets belong to galaxies. And guess what? Galaxies are spinning, spinning, yes, galaxies are spinning. See, this is what, 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 what physicists say. Hence, if we look into the universe, there can be areas that appear to have a preferential direction for galaxy rotation. That means that they all spin in one direction. But... Average over the whole universe, the spin direction is actually random. Now, the principle of conservation of angular momentum says that all the galaxies and all the planets that came out of the Big Bang, because they came out of that big explosion, need to spin in the same direction. But God said, no. This galaxy is going to spin this way, this other one this way, this other one this way, because all of the galaxies spin in a random pattern. This is not me, this is science. Now, let's leave the principle of conservation of angular momentum aside. And let's move to another celestial body. 
One that appears very famous is the Halley Comet. Have you heard of that one? Every 72 years, makes its appearance on our planet. I remember last time it was here, we could see it for a, about a week. It was awesome. It was like a painting that somebody went and put it in the sky. Now, comets don't live forever because they are leaving matter behind. So as they leave matter behind, they get smaller. That's physics. According to Dr. Katrin Ross, says Halley Comet, which is quite well known since it passed the sun once every 75 years or so, and this comet will be completely sublimated and disappear after only 10,000 years or about 100 rotations around the sun. This is a typical lifetime for a comet. Now, if the typical lifetime for a comet is about 10,000 years, and the universe was, at least the Earth, according to science, 4.6 billion years, this is the question. Why do we still have comets? I have a theory. About 6,000 years ago, God said, let there be a sun, stars, and celestial bodies. That is why we still have comets. Now, somebody might say, Pastor, what about the Oryg ring? Okay, now you guys are saying, what is he talking about? There was a man by the last name Oryg that he came with this theory about comets. He said that beyond our solar system, there is a ring called, lack of a better name, his own last name, Oryg. And is full of comets. And when a comet runs his life, another comet replaces him. It's like, sub coach, put me in. As fantastic as that, as that sounds, this is the thing. When do the comets know when to come in? What happens to those comets? Now, that's logic. But the other question is this, and this is a scientific question. Nobody has seen this org ring. And there's only one explanation. It doesn't exist. Now let's move from the cosmos and let's come down to our planet. Are you ready? Let's make life a little simpler. Let's talk about trees. Trees. You know how we find out the age of a tree, right? We look at the trunk across the diameter of the tree trunk and the rings that are formed from its core to the outside represent more or less the year of life that the tree has been around. The oldest known tree in the world is actually here in California. And he was named Prometheus, was cut down in 1964 and this is pretty much what was left. And he was a doctoral student who was studying it. I hope he failed. This happened in what is now known as the Great Basin National Park. The tree, now pay attention to this. The tree was later confirmed to be almost 4,900 years. Did I tell you this is the oldest tree on the planet? Question. How is it? 
that we don't have older trees. I have a theory. 6,000 years ago, God created the plants. And then 2,000 years later, we had a flood. So for the last 4,000 years or so, this tree has been growing. Did you get that one? Okay, let's move to Africa. Are you ready? In Africa, we have what's the greatest desert known to man. It's the Sahara Desert. And this is what a student of this uh, uh, desert has discovered. 5,000 years ago, the Sahara Desert was home to people, animals, and lush vegetation. But now, it's growing inches a year. The east wind that blows from the Middle East comes over Africa, and the sand from the Middle East covers the northern part of Africa. And this desert is growing. The question is, why is it that this desert is not bigger? Why is it that this desert is not more than 5,000 years? And how is it that 5,000 years ago, there was people and vegetation? I have a theory. 6,000 years ago, God created the heavens and the earth and separated the waters. Called the waters oceans and called the dry land. 2,000 years later, God allowed a flood to cover the earth. And since that water dried after the flood, this desert has been growing. We, left, we leave the surface of the earth, and now we go under the earth. Are you ready? Have you ever been to caves? Caving, caves, anywhere? When you take a tour in any caves, there's someone who is leading you and telling you what to do, what not to touch, where to follow. But they always say the same thing. The formations that grow in the caves have names. Those that grow from the bottom up are stalactites, and those who grow from the, bottom, from the top down are called the stalactites. And they would tell you this, that the stalactites take millions of years to grow to the size that they are today. However, scientists believe that they grow 10 centimeters every thousand years. There's no way that we can know that because the caves have been around for a long time. So we went to Washington, D.C. Well, I didn't go, but somebody else did. That's why we said we. <laughs> and this is what happened. This is the basement of the Lincoln Memorial. And guess what's growing in the basement of the Lincoln Memorial? Stalactites. Some are a foot long, some are 56 inches long, and some are about 100 inches long. 
But this is the funny thing. The Lincoln Memorial was built in 1922. Are you with me? So there's another evidence that the earth is not billions of years old. Let's go back to our sphere. This is our planet. And our planet moves in two ways. It has a movement of translation. That's the orbit around the sun. And it has a movement of rotation. And that is what allows us to have day and night. Because the face of the earth, or, or the earth faces the sun, but because it's rotating, that face changes. And gives us the ability to have a day that is about 24 hours long. Now, but like anything that rotates, the momentum decreases with time. If you ever play with a yo-yo or a tops, you know that the momentum of the spin decreases in time. Are you with me? So the earth is slowing down. Don't be alarmed. We're not going to stop anytime soon. But according to, to science, uh, actually, according to Astronomy Magazine from June 1992, page 24, it says that the Earth actually slows down about a thousand of a second every day. So they accumulate all these thousands of seconds, and in 92, June was longer by a second. Now, let me see if, let's see if you guys are with me today. If today the Earth is spinning, is rotating slower, that means that before the earth was spinning faster. Now I know what happened to the dinosaurs. Because if the earth was around 4.6 billion years ago, the earth was spinning so fast, the dinosaurs flew away. <laughs> but I have a theory. About 6,000 6, years ago, God created the heavens and the earth, and he made the earth rotate at a speed that would allow it to grow life and to enjoy life at a balanced rate. And that rate will be here until Jesus comes. Let's move from the earth to the moon. Since today we're celebrating the landing anniversary on the moon. And yes, I do believe there was a moon landing. We'll talk about that in another occasion. <laughs> Similar to the earth, the moon is spinning. It has a uh, translation orbit that goes around the earth. And that orbit takes about 30 days. That is why every month or so we have a new moon or a full moon or a crescent moon or croissant moon. So, so we have this situation around the earth. But just like the earth, if it isn't spinning now, there's going to be a time when the moon will slow down that spin. That is physics. 
According to David Powell, a doctor of the rights in science and astronomy, on January 22 of, Jan uh, of 2007, he says, the result of this slowing down of the moon around the earth is that the moon is being pushed away from earth but 1.6 inches for, or 4 centimeters per year and our planet's rotation is slowing down. So we already knew about the planet's rotation slowing down, but now the moon is going away from us because what is keeping the moon close to the earth is that rotation. So when it stops rota rotating, that means that the moon is going to be adrift in space. So, if the moon is here today and it's slowly going away from the earth, that means that before it was closer. Okay. Some of you are already waking up. The moon causes an effect on the earth. Every day, every night, the moon affects the tide, the level of the ocean with the earth. So when the moon is closer to the planet, the high tide occurs. The water rises. The water level rises. That means that if the earth and the moon were closer 4.6 billion years ago, I know what caused the extinction of the dinosaurs. Because a dinosaur can only drown comfortably one time a day. The moon was so close to the earth 4.6 billion years ago that caused the ocean to flood the earth higher than the peak of the Everest. And let me explain this to you. The highest peak on earth is the Everest mountain. But it's not comparable to the depth that the ocean reaches. It's only a tenth. So there's enough water on the earth to be raised so high that would cover the earth completely once a day if the moon was around 4.6 billion years ago. But I have a theory. In that week of creation, 6,000 years ago, God said, let the moon and the sun rain in the day and the night. And he located the moon at a distance where the tide could cleanse the ocean and we could live comfortably. Let's go again underneath the ground. And so you are thinking right now, when is he going to end? According to science, in 4.6 billion years now. Okay, you know what we have under the crust of the earth. We call it oil. Black tea. Gold. You remember the, the, what was the name of that show? The Beverly Hillbillies? Yeah. Okay. But this is the thing about oil. That oil, even though it's way down there under the crust of the earth, it is also pressurized. It is kind of like the air in your tires. It's pressurized. So if you open a cavity, that pressure causes the oil to come out. According to the Journal of Petroleum Geology, they say that the oil under the, 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 the crust 
is at about 20,000 pounds of pressure. That would mean that if we leave it alone, all the oil will come out because the crust could not hold it for that long period of time with that amount of pressure for more than 10,000 years. I know you already got that. But let me ask you another question. Where does oil come from? Organic matter. That means that all those who didn't pay attention to Noah, animals, people, were compressed by the drying of the land and became oil. So the next time you're pumping gas, I haven't said anything, relax. The next time you're pumping gas, you gotta look at that pump and say, see, you should have listened. Because see, let this be a lesson. When we don't listen to the message of God, you will become fuel. Now I'm preaching. Now, let's go to sociology. Are you ready? This is according to science. This is taken from a science book. It says that the Big Bang occurred about 13.7 billion years ago and that humans domesticated fire 300,000 years ago. How long? Okay, we know that that's a crazy number because we've already been discovering evidence that that could not be possible. But let's say it is. Let's say it is for the sake of this piece of evidence. So if people had been using already fire for practical uses and they were able to control it, to start it, to turn it off, that means that they had already a way to communicate. Are you with me? And according to this science book, was, this occurred 300,000 300, years ago. Now, the evidence tells us that written language, written language, didn't occur, didn't appear until 3,200 years before Christ. Uh, yesterday, we were having fun in the kitchen, and I have a, a little magnet that has the Rosetta Stone. And uh, Giovanni was looking at it and said, oh, I know what languages are on it. I said, yeah, which ones? This is Greek? That's Egyptian? And I said, I give you 10 bucks if you know what's the third language. So for half an hour, he's looking through my books because the rule last night was no Wi-Fi in the afternoon, Friday night. So he couldn't Google it. So he went into my library. He looked for some kind of book that could tell him. And finally, he found it. So demotic is the language that was there. Now, none of these three languages are as old as the language that the people in Mesopotamia spoke. Now, let me tell you something about the importance of this location. 
The Bible tells us that there was a man that lived on Ur of the Chaldeans. His name was Abraham. Abraham. Ur is in, right in the heart of Mesopotamia. Now, before you turn me off, you remember your social study classes when they taught you about the origin of humanity and society? They talk about one place, summer. And the Sumerians were the first culture. Guess what? They were, but guess where they were from? Mesopotamia. Mesopotamia, it's a compound word. Meso means in the middle. Potos means water. Potable water. So Mesopotamia means living between waters. The Tigris River and the, uh, river and the Euphrates River. By the way, you know where the Garden of Eden was located? Right there. So according to sociologists, they discover that the origin of written language was 3,200 years ago. Or actually, 2,200 before Christ. So 500 years ago. 5,000 years ago. Let me go back in case anybody's confused. According to sociologists, the original language occurred 3,200 years, 3,200 years before Christ. That means that language, written language, has been only on the earth for 5,000 years. The question is, if they were able to manipulate fire 300,000 years ago, and they were so advanced that they could do that. They were not advanced enough to write language for 264,000 years. Are you with me? Now, so we've seen the stars. We've seen the planet. We've seen the galaxies. We've seen the crust of the earth. We've seen all the evidence around have shown us that it is more likely that the earth is younger, about 6,000 years ago, than science tells us that is 4.6 billion years ago. So this is the question that always arises when I have this kind of conversations with people. But how do we know that the story of Genesis is true? This is what I've always said. Well, let's look at the scripture. On the first line, we see Adam. You see, you see him? And it's kind of small. And I do not have a laser pointer with this thing. So that's Adam. Now, Adam, the Bible tells us that he lived for 930 years. So that means that Adam lived all the way to when Lamech, the father of Noah, was around. Now... Have you ever gathered in family events and you start telling a story and somebody older says, no, 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 that is not how it happened? Or somebody says, you're talking about something that happened in the family and you're talking and you say, you know, I think it happened like that. Oh, no, let's ask grandma. Right? Hey, grandma, you remember what happened? Oh, yeah, it was like this and like that and so and so and your uncle this and your uncle that. Right? Well, imagine. If somebody tried between Lamech and Adam to say, oh, the story of creation happened like this, somebody said, no, 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 no. Adam could have said, it did not happen like that. I was there. 
Or if two people were talking about it and they said, no, 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 I think it was like that. No, I think it was like that. Well, let's ask Grandpa Adam. Now, Lamech lived before the flood. And Lamech, by tradition, he told a story that he had learned from Grandpa Adam to his son, Noah. Noah lived in a very particular time. The transition in time between the pre-flood and the post-flood times. So Noah, with his three children, lived through the flood. And they had the story secondhand. That means, that does not mean that there were lies, what they had. That means that Adam lived up to the generation before them to confirm the story. And besides, was not the only one who told the story. Are you with me? So when Noah and his children crossed the flood line, Noah was around all the way to the life of Terah. You know who Terah was? The father of Abraham. When Abraham heard the story, basically he had the details from the second generation that lived after Adam. Are you with me? So the chances that the narrative of Genesis was wrong are very slim. Because there was always somebody who could corroborate the details of the story. The scripture says in Ecclesiastes 12.1, Remember now your creator in the days of your youth, before the difficult days come and the years draw near when you say, I have no pleasure in them. You might say, well, I'm not young anymore. But perhaps this information is new to you. Remember your creator. Remember that the evidence that this sunken ship has shown us is the evidence of a creator. And by the way, by the way, on August 10 in the afternoon for Get Connected, I will be speaking on dinosaurs and the Bible. You do not want to miss that one. So we will find more evidence of what the scripture has to offer for us today. Who live in a time when the scripture is so heavily attacked and the truth of the word of God is being a target.